Today's episode of Recapables Westworld on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. The relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. And now they're serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and L.A., and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keep, keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Please go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. We're trying to raise $250,000, and if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. Welcome to Tinfoil Tuesday, your Wednesday tradition on the Recapables Westworld, because Tuesday, as we know it, is only a simulation. I am David Shoemaker, joined as always by the beauty amidst all this disarray, Danny Heifetz, and our loyal producer, Bobby Wagner. And this week, a very special guest, the one and only Kevin O-Simulation. Wait, that, that's not good. What are we calling you on this show? I like O-Simulation, David. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That, that works for me. <laughs> Kevin O'Connor. Uh, acclaimed NBA writer and uh, and ringer staffer uh, par excellence. Kevin O'Connor is here with us today. Um, we're about to have a mind-warping, spoiler-filled discussion of all the theories and speculations spilling out of the finale of Westworld Season 3, Crisis Theory. We'll also have some listener mail. Um, you can still email us at therecapitalswestworld at gmail.com. I assume Danny Hyvitz is going to check it every day for the rest of his life. Uh, but this is it. <laughs> this is the end of the season. Um, and... There are no stupid questions, so we're just going to get into all of them. Um, well, there's no stupid questions unless you demand to know where the research lab is. Uh, Hosts, the robots, you know? <laughs> Danny, let's just jump right in. Give us some questions. Tell us what we got. Actually, before we jump in, I have, first of all, I have sincerely and deeply enjoyed the recapables Westworld at gmail.com email. Thank you to everyone who has sent emails in, but I have to read. The best email we've got all season. I don't know about best, but my favorite. And there have been many good ones. Hey, guys. Was listening to last week's episode in preparation for the finale, and the amount of times you referred to Sirach's brother by name, Jean Me, was startling to me, being that my name is John Me, pronounced how it <laughs> appears. John M-E-E. Needless to say, this connection has brought more existential dread to my life during quarantine as I am now questioning the nature of my reality slash simulation. Thanks for the pod. Jean slash John, me slash me. Wow. I, That's going to be super weird. <laughs> so this guy's just listening to this podcast in this kitchen and we're like, does John me even exist? Is he even a real person <laughs> over and over again? Guys, this is I, how I feel watching Seahawks games. Oh, and Bobby <laughs> Wagner is just like that's so <laughs> like, strange. I'm not that's doing exactly anything. I guess so too. It's the first. The first and last name is really. Is I mean, is really significant. I guess unless you have a strange name too. I mean, if your name is like Ciroc, then I mean, it's got to be unnerving just to hear someone yelling Ciroc on TV. Or if Diddy has again. a vodka company, and you know. Okay, we're we're we've come full I'm circle so now. We can just end the show. That. Yeah, I'm so glad that that was like an episodes one and two thing. That I'm you like were Westworld. On. We come back to the beginning on this podcast. One of my friends just got a dog and they adopted it and its name was Kevin. 
And so David said, we're taking Kevin for a walk. And I'm like, huh? What? You got to feed Kevin. What are you feeding me? Kevin pissed all over the carpet again. You can't give dogs human names. I mean, that's I mean, you can, but it's got to be a little bit off the beaten path. You can't just name your dog like Sarah or something. I mean, they're they're trying to rename it Trip, but there's some disagreement of whether to keep the name or or go with Trip. All you need in a dog name is hard consonants. And we would know that if they had actually given Charlotte's dog a name. But I, I think giving dogs human names is about as dangerous as giving uh, robots the, the capability of consciousness. Did you guys see what Elon and Grimes named their, their child? I, I, I don't know how to say it. I don't know if there is a way to say it. Oh, no. I saw they had a kid. What's his name? I, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> there's like an A and an E in there, but there's, there's no clear way how to pronounce it. You don't know how to pronounce Elon Musk? They, no. you know, of, of all the Ringer podcasts, this is definitely the one where we should be discussing Elon Musk's child. It, well, we're not going to dwell on Elon Musk. All right. But but uh, spell out the name. Spell out the name. It's capital X space. That, <laughs> a, that capital A-E. There, he, just, he just slacked it. It's so weird. <laughs> capital X space A-E. Is this a, this is a meme. This isn't real, right? You're, you're no, telling me that real. this is like a legal name on a birth certificate or this is something they tweeted? Didn't Elon, Elon Musk tweet three it. days ago Elon, that Tesla's Elon stock is too high? <laughs> All right. I, I don't think that this is actually the name. And if it is, then I don't know if the SEC can get involved in that. But anyway. <laughs> okay. Email time? Let's do some emails. Brad asks, are all the undesirables dead at the warehouse? I asked this question uh, after the last episode. This is like as, as, as I was trying to like put all the pieces together. What? Oh yeah, what happened to those people with the power went out? So this well, one isn't that you, fun. Um, we talked. We talked about that. We talked about it before. Early, I don't know if it was on on the air off, and and I just sort of had it set aside as like an unanswerable question or a question that wasn't particularly important to the plot. But then I realized, no, the military grade EMP turned everything off. So what happened to them is they all suffocated in their glass coffins. Like there's well, that's no, what there's we thought, and then it turned out that a Reddit user actually captured a screenshot. Which this is this is an amazing screen grab the screen on the emp said that reserve power was on so i think that the show actually did account for that so apparently wait this is like the dog not getting in the car this is some weak sauce they they were too scared to kill all the outliers so they like that makes it so much more confusing why does the, the funny part of it is that like there's like all the lights go out right and then they cut away apparently if they had left the camera there the lights would have come back on in like five seconds i think that's what happened I understand that the purpose of the military grade EMP was to protect the world from Solomon escaping, I guess. But wouldn't he oh, be on the reserve power grid too? I mean, wouldn't Solomon have got like wouldn't there be some maybe not. Maybe it just doesn't seem like the lives of the outliers are in anybody's interest, but who cares? The EMP thing always confused me because the idea that Solomon can render like a trillion possibilities but none of them can account for the EMP that's like 20 feet away from it that has a switch. I I Always found a little strange, but that of all the things to get caught up on, I'm not going to get caught up on the EMP. Um, a great email from Aaron on the biblical parts of the story. When we zoom out, oh, no. Aaron writes that in the Old Testament, which love me a ye old in the Old Testament, Solomon is the father of Rehoboam. Further, Caleb is the brother-in-law of Moses and also a spy for Moses. He wanders the desert with Moses and the Jewish slaves, freed from Egyptian rule for 40 years, looking for the land of milk and honey. One translation of Caleb is about being a dog, loyalty. 
Caleb and Moses wander together until they find the promised land, which Moses cannot enter. I think what the show is trying to tell us is that Dolores is like Moses. She frees people from their slavery to a false god, which is Pharaoh, Rehoboam, and leads them toward the promised land, but cannot partake herself. Caleb is able to enter the promised land and is one of the only older people that can as their leader. Yeah, I love that. I thought that was on the money. And then obviously, like season two, there was a lot of Dolores as Moses vibes where she mm-hmm. there's literally a flood where she kind of like the doors kind of like the ark. And we talked about that ad nauseum. But shout out. No, Aaron. It's the parting of the Red really Sea. Good. I mean, that was, that parting, was, yeah. was yeah, pretty straightforward. But the the uh, yeah, I, I think that's right. The only my only thing is after it turned out that like, well, according to Nolan himself, the Rehoboam thing, it was just like a total coincidence that he like based it off some science fiction novel that he loved. Uh, it sort of puts everything into disarray. I mean, it, it calls everything into question about their intentions, but they probably have a lot more intentionality than they say out loud. So yeah, I love that. That's that's a great email. Good job, Aaron. Why was it? Why did it come off as a surprise that Dolores was a you know a Moses figure, as Aaron says here? I mean, I read some of the recaps afterwards, and there seemed to be a lot of surprise that she, in the end, had these pure intentions to free everybody because uh, throughout. The season, obviously, she was incredibly violent throughout, but I did think in the back of my mind that there's that her and Maeve's, you know, goals are actually in alignment, and it turned out that they were in the end. Well, I mean, certainly now it, it seems like that should have been obvious. I just think that I, I think that if you're, I, I think that that's. Part of what makes a show really interesting and also really difficult sometimes is that is that it we're left kind of to our own interpretations of like if you went in sympathetic to Dolores's cause on any level, then you probably did see her as the hero throughout the season, or or you 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 know left that open to as a possibility. Um, but from like you know the decades of genre television and movies that we all that we've all grown up with and lived with forever, I mean she was posed as if not i mean she wasn't the villain this season sirak was the villain but she, it didn't seem like she was like you know some white hat wearing hero the whole time so um and also she was they they kept it a secret right they wanted this big surprise twist at the end and i think that in some ways really distracted from the actual story yeah i think that it's there's always this balance of like trying to project these broad themes the show is trying to tell i mean obviously i love the garden of eden stuff i I love the large biblical themes they've applied to the host but you also have to use the evidence that the show is giving you the actual source text and Mm -hmm. for dolores the thing i kept coming back to is while i saw the moses comparison the thing i kept coming back to the whole season and i ended up being wrong about was that i didn't really see any evidence that she cared about people she was You know, there's I mean, we joke about with football coaches and KOC, you do basketball. It's like you can listen to what the coach says at the press conference, but what are they doing? And I just when we looked at Dolores's actions for like the whole show, I just kept coming back to why does she care about people? Why am I supposed to believe that when has this moment come of reckoning where she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to care about people. So I just didn't believe that this was going to happen. Uh, obviously, it did. So there was a change of heart, but I just didn't really foresee that that was going to end up being the case. So it's more like the way it was sold. It wasn't sold strongly enough. Whereas, like you said, Shoemaker, for someone like me, I was just sort of, you know, on team Dolores. So I tried to see the good in her projecting my own feelings on what she was or what she could be rather than like just, I guess, critiquing the script and critiquing the story for what it was and taking it in. I was sort of just 
projecting what I had hoped for. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to make it sound like that you were looking at it the wrong way. I think that it's clear now that you were looking at it the right way. But it, but, but I think you, you know, we all had to go in. We all go into their own biases. So we all view it that way. And I think that the way they built the season left it uh, maybe a little bit more open to interpretation than we're used <laughs> That's to. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, we might as well just hop into something Lisa Joyce said about kind of what the season was about. Um, and Lisa Joyce said after this episode, uh, while a robot can always change their program, they can evolve. Humans can't. So in a way, are humans more robotic than artificial intelligences? Can they ever truly be free? Can they ever truly change? That is the inquiry of the season. Um, I thought that, that I think that that's a good and the right lens to look at what they were trying to do here. There's pockets where they did that better than others. Um, but that obviously is one of the things Dolores was kind of going with here because at the end of season two, Ford makes this whole speech about the passenger. They, the finale season two is called the passenger because Ford describes it as consciousness is kind of like driving a car. Humans aren't driving the car. Humans are the passengers. Uh, your your conscious mind, your limbic system, this is an Elon Musk favorite, the limbic system's driving the car and you're kind of just a passenger watching the scenery go by and maybe suggesting some directions. Uh, and Ford says in that episode that a person who could, or a, a being that was truly free, could change its core drives. Excuse the drive-drive metaphor clash there. But Dolores there, I do think, just changed some of her core drives in this season. I think, I wish I had, we had seen some more of that process. Yeah, I agree with that. Sort of like Daenerys in Game of Thrones. We we saw her go from like, you know, in one episode going like to the, the Mad Queen rather than seeing that evolution happen. It just happened overnight, essentially. And with yeah, Dolores, that's probably that evolution. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably the best example of that kind of character stuff accelerating without really understanding why. I think that's always like a danger. Um, but I mean, while we're talking about Dolores, I mean, Brad and a thousand other people ask, are we to believe that Dolores is actually dead? Obviously, we discussed this on the immediate recap, but I think it's worth adding in. We have some extra context here from Jonathan Nolan. Do you guys mind yes, if I read I'm it? Glad, I'm glad so, you have this. I was, just, I was just trying to Google it up. All right, let's go. So <laughs> Variety did an interview with Jonathan Nolan, and they basically asked straight up, is Dolores coming back? Quote, part of the fun of the show from the beginning is that one actor can play several roles and that the story shifts underneath them. Shifts genres, shifts time. One of the ideas of the show from the beginning is this idea of agency. The formal quality of what a person looks like versus who, who are they underneath is something very slippery in this world, something very complicated. We love that and we love the challenge. He goes on to mention it's a challenge for the actors. I think if you take the Jonathan Nolan interview in, in totality, I think what he explains is the Dolores we saw right there is gone. Like that version of Dolores but you could also argue that the version of Bernard from season one is gone because Dolores built him from memory. So like whether Dolores rebuilds a le or sorry, Bernard rebuilds a different version of Dolores from her, his memory or there's, you know, Charlotte's a version of Dolores. So there's some other one. That's there's specific. a Musashi's head is still floating around out there. Which, exactly. By the way, it would be a lot less of a problem, I think, with this last season if that were the only hanging question. Right. Because you could because that if, if that were like an obvious like obviously what was going to happen then i would feel great about it but anyway we're definitely going to see some version of her her though i would imagine no i'm just I, talking I, about i'm just talking about how musashi got his head chopped off and taken away and we never yes. saw any of them again basically if you just zoom like here's the, the re, here's the reality 
the showrunners don't know that as much as we think they know about season four. They're like, the reality is they don't know where they're going to start filming. They don't know when they're going to get back in the writer's room. It was only recently confirmed season four is even happening. I don't think it's a great idea to pretend that there's some concrete plan for season four. In reality, what the show does is it gives them a tremendous amount of flexibility. Because if you think about what we just learned, every host is the base core ingredient. The, the flower is Dolores. She's the, the thing that keeps this whole thing going. That creates so many possibilities for Evan Rachel Wood to come back. There's like five different control units of her out there. There's She's apparently the base ingredient. I would be surprised if you never see Evan Rachel Wood again in the show. I also don't think she will be the, as Sean said, as the on the art, in the main spot in the art coming into the season. I think that Maeve, or uh, Thanny Newton, Jeffrey Wright for Bernard, Tessa Thompson for Charlotte, and I guess Ed Harris for William. Those will be the main four entering season four. And when that happens, God knows. But I think Evan Rachel Wood would come back. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, halfway through next season. That would be a shame. I think she's the heartbeat of the show. Sure, Tessa I Thompson agree. can do her her new version of Dolores. Uh, and Dolores, Paul, whatever. I just what, forgot. You know, yeah. And, you know, and but but Dolores, would she she manages... Evan Rachel Wood manages to make the Dolores character simultaneously so charming, charming and menacing at the same time. It, and that's part of what I like about the show overall. And I would miss that. But ultimately, though, it's like you said, Shoemaker, whether it's from Musashi, you know, with her, you know, ball in the head from uh-huh. him or whether, whether it's, you know, a flashback like we see, you know, or something in a simulation like with Ford or or Jimmy Simpson as William. She'll be in the show in some way. It's just, you know, like you said, Danny, whether she's on the art or not. Yeah, I agree. I, I said last time that I, I imagined that they would find a way to get her back, at least even in like a, at least in a Ford season two role. Right. I mean, if she rolls in as a Terminator for one episode or two, like that would be a fun little fan servicey thing. I guess to me, it's like I like what Nolan said about the show kind of being like a renewable resource a lot. But I just feel like the way the show is built that we're, you know, at some, at some point they said six seasons or something. And, and, and now he's kind of poo pooing that, but regardless, it's a show that seems to be renewed on a year, on a year by year basis right now. It's eight episode seasons. If this were like ER, then like, yes, of course the lead character is going to disappear and going to be replaced by someone else. And we're going to, the show is going to keep rolling under its own momentum. But there's, we have, we all, I mean, Everything we're told is that or everything, the, all the evidence that we have points to this being like a c- relatively concise story. And if it and regardless of whether what the technical status of Dolores's existence is right now, like she's she is the story at this point. She's the last person standing after. Well, certainly after Ford and William are gone. So, you know, I mean, we'll see, I guess. But I but I do think it would be a pity. Uh, it would be a pity to leave her behind. Well, she left herself behind. Come on now. There, we, we wandered out of the promised land. Nothing's promised now. And also, I think if this really is the end of her, and it certainly might be, I bet it seems like maybe they just kind of tripped over themselves a little bit. If this were going to be the end, uh, it's a real shame that they didn't give her a more kind of romantic send off. Not romantic. I mean, not, not like a love story send off, but it's a shame that they didn't make it a bigger make her sacrifice more the central story instead of it being a story about Caleb I mean I think that this was probably about as strong of a send off as she could have gotten considering the pivot from motivations to to back to being on the side of people I'd be interested to see if she came back 
and what the hell they do with Teddy and James Marsden, the, the actor who plays Teddy. I'd be interested to see if she's in existence of, in his mind or his memories or his desires. I mean, obviously, I mean, this kind of just bleeds right into Bernard and what Bernard does in season four. But now that they open that door to the sublime and all that jazz, you would think that, you know, the all the characters that are kind of literally sitting on the sideline that can now come back to season four in whatever manner they choose. I'd be interested if she comes back that way. Um, and really what they do with like a Kichitov, he's going to be a character. Is Maeve's daughter ever going to become like a person or is she just an idea? I don't, I, I don't even know if she's had, more I, don't, than like I five honestly lines don't think it's show. feasible to have Maeve's daughter be a part of the show when they only do a, like eight episodes every two years. And this person is supposed to stay the same age. <laughs> That's a good point. Cause we're getting to the point where this kid, however old she was when they started filming, by the time they filmed season four, they're like, I mean, eight, eight years will have elapsed because I think season one parts of it were filmed in like 2014. So that's a long time. Yeah. Anywho. Okay. Let's keep rolling with questions. Uh, a question about speaking of the door and sublime and all that jazz, just a question. I think a lot of people are wondering this one's from Mike, which is why again, did Ciroc need the key? And then Michael, not Mike asks in the end, are the keys to the great beyond and the forge, the same key? Uh, I think this is important to clarify. Just, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, this was, this is a question that I had all season and probably didn't ask it out loud at times because I felt like I was just not, I was, wasn't paying enough attention. Um, do you know the answer to this? It seems like so, they were deliberately obscuring the distinction between the key that would get you into the valley beyond, which is where all the hosts are experiencing their like perpetual afterlife. The Windows and, desktop. But that, but that, that, that content is not of interest to Sirach. He wants no. He wants visitor data, which apparently is the forge, which is something else entirely. Yeah. So what Sirach wants with the key, Sirach wants the Delos data because they remember they hit all those brain scanners in the hats at Westworld, which apparently was the key to the whole thing, because they wanted to scan your brain while you were in the park to see. Really, they wanted to be able to copy you make a new version of you secretly and then sell you the product so they can be like, Hey, do you want to buy immortality for, you know, we're going to name our price. That was the whole plan. So Sirach wants that brain data they were collecting because he thinks it'll make Rehoboam better. And it Rehoboam will have better projections, more accurate projections. If he gets the Delos human data, that's what he wanted. But there are two pieces of two huge data ones with the other one being the Valley beyond which is where all the hosts or a third of the hosts went when they went through that door. So at the end of season two, which was so long ago and honestly was such a convoluted and very, very confusing thing to try to follow. There was a back and forth between Dolores and Bernard and then Dolores and Charlotte's body and Bernard and his memories were all messed up where basically what happened was there was a debate between them to do two things. One, did they want to delete the human data because they looked at it as a war between hosts and humans and then did they want to beam the host's data into cyberspace and give them a digital utopia? Or do they want to destroy them and look at destroying them as a mercy, like a death being better than being alive? It was bizarre. And I, one of the strange things about the season where they were conflating these two keys was I was almost wondering if they were kind of like, look, no one remembers the ending to season two. We don't even feel the need to, dis to draw a distinction because they really didn't try in this season to kind of delineate the difference. And I think that they kind of were like, if we just call this thing a key in Dolores's head, let's not worry about the details from the specifics, because whether Bernard decided to kill all the human data at the end of season two and where Dolores beamed it and she changed her mind, 
I actually think consolidating it was kind of the right move, but at the end of season two, it very much seems like they're different keys. But I think that they kind of purposely blended that for this season. Hmm. Yeah. So the answer is <laughs> the answer is that my confusion was justified. I think that they recognized I'm it was too convoluted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Basically, I think there were two keys, but it didn't really matter. So they just blended it into one vague term, and like it didn't really matter that they were two different ones. And what really ended up happening with the human data, I think that they were just kind of like, let's just roll with it. And I don't think that was the worst decision. I don't know if it was worth explaining the whole thing again. Is that also, I mean, this is unrelated, I think, but also like the flash drive Caleb had, it turns out that was unnecessary, correct? Because uh, that's that's the next question. Yeah, I think we can go into this. This is okay. <laughs> okay so first yeah, of all, do and this. God damn there's a there's a practical <laughs> element here. And then there's just a question. So, like, first, I want to let's do the practical. Andrew asks, why would you connect the enemy super robot directly into the supercomputer AI that she is trying to control? Why not plug her into another computer and find the key first? I know not to plug in a random thumb drive into my personal computer. This is an excellent point. I believe the Pentagon banned flash drives 10 years ago. I believe that I texted you yesterday, Heifet, saying that this is like plugging in a zip drive that was sent in an, or in a Russian envelope to the computer that has the <laughs> nuclear codes on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of. It's it's kind of amazing they plugged her into Rehoboam. Just from a, like a technical, like digital cybersecurity standpoint, this breaks all of the protocols. Also, like when they built Rehoboam, what are what is the point of creating those tentacles that plugs into hosts? <laughs> like, why did yes, that technology I, well, get created? Okay. Yeah, this is this is like okay. Uh, uh, if someone has an answer, please just cut me off. But uh, and I do enjoy the, these questions a great deal. But if this were again, if this were the only problem, it would be a funny thing to riff on because. But this is every science fiction movie. There is just like a random light-up suction cup that can access every file. This, actually, this they actually did a pretty good job in Westworld this year of um, kind of hand-waving all that by having all the interfaces just kind of be, you put a thing on top of a thing. You know, like, they had numerous times in the season, they would just, like, put a card on a glass surface and it would read or whatever. You know, like, that's how Caleb grabbed the zip drive at the end. He just grabbed it, right? Like, off a table. Um, <laughs> yeah. That part of, I, that, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean... They could have like cracked open her head and found the USB air drive or whatever and like directly plugged her into the recognizable thing. But I think the light up tubes were just a more effective visual. It was. Yeah, the light up tubes were cooler. I think that. So that's the practical and kind of funny. The other question here is that, OK, so obviously the plan was Caleb sticks this flash drive into Rehoboam and Solomon's final. The, the plan will be instituted, which the plan was to delete Rehoboam right we can we can assume the plan was to delete Rehoboam I think the part of this that's confusing especially for people who are trying to follow like what the plan was is that Dolores technically failed Dolores getting caught by Maeve and plugged into this was what we thought was a disaster and yet it worked and apparently was going to work because Dolores getting her memory sucked into Rehoboam Trigger like gave Reho Caleb control over Rehoboam. The process of that, I don't really understand, to be honest. I, I like the thing that Maeve says to Caleb in that moment about why that, or she says it to Sirak actually 
about why that happened. The actual quote is Maeve tells Sorak, you gave it to him, it being the admin excess. You gave it to him when you put the mind, her mind in the machine. Solomon's access was the last memory before you wiped her clean. I don't know what that means. Solomon's access was the last memory before you wiped her clean. I don't know when Dolores got access to Solomon or access to Rehoboam through Solomon. I don't know when that download happened. But I also don't understand if she had it, why getting plugged in was a bad thing. Why didn't they just try to do that from the beginning? Because they could have been like, ha, we were planning this the whole time. You're right. I mean, but if, if the question is, why didn't they do that from the beginning? I mean, I think the real question is like, a better question is, why didn't, Lawrence drive his truck full of explosives into inside headquarters <laughs> and blow it up. I mean, like that, that that's from the beginning, right? I mean, that would have yeah. been a lot easier than everything that happened this season. Setting that aside, the only way to me it makes sense is if whatever they got from Solomon somehow got put into Loris's head, like in the storage unit after Caleb rebuilt her or after she rebuilt, you know, put her, put the pearl back in that this was all part of her plan. But I don't. But but it's weird that if that were the story, that wouldn't have been told. I don't know. What do you think, Casey? Was there any moments back in episode seven that were very subtle? Like you mentioned, how there was the part on the computer screen about like backup power on. Was there anything in there, like with the eyes flashing earlier, because the contact she has Ooh. in the sea, Sarak? Were was there anything subtle that it was easy to overlook that could have been the moment where something was? She left before her? he got the thing. If there's a moment that someone listening to this podcast is screaming about, it's probably Solomon saying to Dolores, if you die, I'll change my projections. I still don't totally know what that meant because the flash drive got shattered. So maybe that is part of the reason. I, I guess what I'm confused about is that, quote unquote, failing, like Dolores failing and getting captured and the thing getting f- smashed still worked because they plugged her into Rehoboam. In a nutshell, this is what I was thinking about. And part of the reason I was um, very emotional on the last podcast is this is what I was thinking about during the moment was I was just really confused about what was happening because I was trying to follow the thread of, okay, what was this plan the whole time? And I would prefer to be completely wrong right now. And like, there's an obvious connection of when Dolores had this and why this was happening. But I, again, it's, it's, a little crazy to me, but the best thing I can kind of put together is that Sorak just made the mistake of plugging her into Rehoboam and that if he hadn't done that, like this wouldn't have happened, which is a little odd, but we can get past it. Why? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine with him plugging her in directly into the machine. Like that's storytelling. That's fine. I guess I'm just confused about how we're supposed to interpret what Dolores' plot plan was. Like, if we just isolate that, the plan was Clearly that, I mean, was that was the plan that Caleb would fail and she would have this virus inside of herself. That's the part of this that I think is unknowable. Maybe there's an obvious piece to this that we're missing that would make it. But I think that I actually think that this isn't we're not actually supposed to be thinking this deep into it about why, like whether this was plan B. I I don't know if you rewatch the season, there's going to be a moment where like, oh, yeah, she was laying the seeds to sacrifice herself here. I think that she was very clearly. Um, wanting Caleb to be the person to do it but I don't know if there's like a Moses like foreshadowing that Dolores is like yeah no no I'm not going to be a part of this anymore I'm, I'm not I'm going to die to make sure this happens I also just think it's possible that the scene where she was took access from Solomon was just straight up edited out like that's you know what I mean and with Solomon was that AI what gave 
Caleb, like the control of Rehoboam. It, it, like, the, how does this old AI have the power to do that? Or am I misreading how that transition of power from Sirach to Caleb happened? I think Solomon's presence in the show is a little confusing, like why it was in the warehouse and why. Like, someone emailed in, like, why didn't Sirach just destroy Solomon? Uh, that was from Nicholas. I, I think, I guess there's just, you know, logistics to be worked out and just it needed to run some things. Or I also think that Solomon was connected to his brother in some yeah, way. Again, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think, Sirach I think, I mean, is that... dying and he literally says, he calls Rehoboam brother. He doesn't call it Rehoboam at the end. He's calling it brother, speak to me. So I I think that John Me, apologies to John Me if he's listening to this, uh, the, the Sirach's <laughs> brother John Me is, you know, frozen in time in that Solomon with all the with all the bodies underneath him. I think that there's a lot of illusions that he is in one way or another kind of living on through Solomon. Uh, but honestly, Sirach's kind of telling like Sirach's last words being speak to me, brother almost all just made me wish that we kind of learned a little more about Solomon in that relationship. I feel like an extra two episodes would have been nice to develop some of this a bit more. I remember when I saw eight, I was like, really eight episodes for Westworld. I, we're going to lose something here with a show. That's typically the first two seasons. So complex. And, you know, obviously has sparked so many discussions on podcasts like this and on Reddit and everything like that. Uh, it, it's that type of stuff that, I would have loved to seen more of like with Caleb, for example, like we see his mom and we learn about like the importance of that. We learn about the importance of him being by the water. And then that's just, whoop, it's gone. It's the, these are the little things that I, I would have loved to have seen more of because they're not really little things they are quite important to the, the motivations of these, of these characters that have had or have great potential. Yeah. I mean, I said it over and over again, the season was either, you know, way too short or way too long because we could have learned so much more about Sirach and Solomon and his brother and everything else. The alternative is, I think Danny said this first, like Solomon didn't need to exist, right? Jean Mead didn't need to exist. Frankly, Bernard and, and William and Stubbs didn't need to exist. <laughs> yes. So Stephen actually sent us an email in and he made a good point that, uh, attacking what you don't understand is an incredibly human response from Hoffer Hoboam. I thought that was a very good point and actually like a really, excellent summation of the outlier thing is that that is a deeply human thing just we can't understand this two percent get rid of them it's not an accident again that the authoritarian fascism nazi regime with mave in episode two and war world was kind of the comp of Maeve mave being a spy you know partisan you know that was not an accidental thing about you know trying to create post-war or post-mass violence peace in europe after this like nuclear event by just removing certain outliers. That was not an accidental decision. Um, but switching gears for a second, Mark in San Francisco asks, well, he sends in a theory on why the henchman cannot aim. My son had a great theory that the host in the training park, boot camp world, were intentionally easy to kill as phase one of the revolt. Assuming that the Delos and Insight security teams trained there, they would have gained a false sense of their own effectiveness and that's why they've been inept all season long, all show long. Wow. So the hosts trick the humans into being terrible soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> or they just put I'm the in. difficulty to easy and they were like, yeah, we're so great. And then you, you try to ramp it up to legendary and you're like, oh my God, this game is so hard. That's exactly. just like a game of pool that someone gets hustled in, except on a much <laughs> grander scale. <laughs> yes. 
Oh my that's god, great. that's great. That's great. That's canon now. Send that, yeah, send that Mark, directly to Nolan and Joy. We're, that's we're, beautiful. we're making that official. <laughs> All right, we got an email from Matt. Why did Dolores not just tell Maeve her plan? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, listen, there is a sort of like there is a loophole in this show that gets constantly reiterated. Um, which is that like it's a there's that free will is like the most important thing. So whereas to you or I it might make sense to be like, hey, here's the plan. Let's do this together. So you can make the case, I guess, that Dolores would be like, no, Maeve has to come to this on her own terms, even though I'm not giving her enough information to make the decision. I think there's two explanations. I think one is that Dolores and Maeve had a conversation in episode six, and Maeve was like, I literally won't believe anything you say. And I think the other explanation is that it's just better TV to have, you know, I, I think that that is part of that here specifically. It's definitely better TV here. You know, you guys mentioned how with Dolores, she had the change of heart and everything. But I, I, I feel that with Maeve more than anybody. I, I didn't listen to the show after, you know, Sunday night because I wanted to come into this fresh that you guys did. But I, I don't know, like with Maeve, it's like she experienced her daughter not even recognizing her. She, I, I thought she found peace that her daughter went into the sublime with her new mom and everything. And I feel like she's the one who went into that with the erupt change. It's almost like Maeve and Dolores both of them had their drastic change during the season when really they just could have had a conversation at the beginning and, <laughs> and found some other type of agreement. Talk. But yeah, they just they had just a talk. talk it I, out. As you said though, Danny, it's just better t- TV. <laughs> um, all right. We had, I want to clarify something about William. We kept referring to him on the last podcast as just being dead. Charles points out, we don't actually see him die, which is a good point because only in Westworld have we seen characters get their throat slit like your jugular open and gushing and be fine. So that is actually in the cards. So I do think we owe a little clarity that William might not be dead. His throat, you know, might just be slit and he is just bleeding on the ground. And maybe as soon as the camera cuts, they're like, just going to fix him up. Just wanted to point that no, out. No, he's got to be dead. I think he better be dead. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one, just William, obviously after season two, there was this post credit scene where set in like the far future, where I mean, confirmed by uh, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan to be in the far future, where William, like gunslinger, man in black, William is talking to a version of his daughter, and he's like, "Oh shit, I'm already in the thing, aren't I?" And uh, Nate asks, "Is there a connection between that post credit scene and the one in this one?" Especially since Bernard seemed to be set in the far future. I mean, the connection is that in the far future, we know William to be a host, and now we've been introduced to host William, right? Yeah. Um, I guess there's, I guess the the interesting connection is that, I mean, if you really want to read into it, that, um, despite the fact that the man in black at the end of, you know, at the end of season three was just sort of a very brute, very dumbed down version of, it it didn't seem to be a lot of self-awareness in that host outside of just being able to recite the right lines about it. Um, if that, if, if, if he, if that's the, if he's connected, I mean, if it's the same host or if, you know, the same process of making hosts and i guess charlotte is in the business of giving hosts consciousness right? i thought the pro i thought the whole point of that host was it was basically the same dude and i think it goes to the question of like is dolores going to come back i'm like all right that dolores might not but we might get one that's very similar 98 percent. and I, I think that william seemed to be very similar to the one we saw which is interesting i guess they split though from the point where they mm-hmm. I, I guess the real point though is that the copy they have in westworld 
is a version of what you were doing there. But what we've learned from this season with Dolores is that once you split them and put them in a body and they start having their own experiences, they become a different person. Like you're a different person at some point with different experiences so that the William there, maybe he knew what the old William was going to say. So it's not the exact version of him, even though they tried to show that it was very similar of him. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's like an older version of him that can be replicated. Yeah. A seemingly a taller version of him too. Yeah, uh, probably. The Recapables Westworld is also brought to you today by Shudder. Shudder is a premium video service brought to you by AMC Networks, offering an unbeatable selection of expertly curated horror, supernatural, and thrillers. It's like the Netflix of horror. It's uncut and commercial-free with exclusive and original titles you won't find anywhere else for only $5.99 a month. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. There's spine-tingling thrillers, shocking horrors, edge-of-your-seat suspense, everything updated weekly. Shudder has a unique collection of exclusive and original films and series, horror classics, blockbuster hits, with titles like the acclaimed Tigers Are Not Afraid, One Cut of the Dead, that's a good one, Revenge, and the Creepshow TV series, produced by Greg Nicotero. You can stream them ad-free on all your favorite devices. iPhone, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, Roku, and more. I uh, I just got done watching Cold Skin on Shudder just like five seconds ago. It is an incredible movie. There's so much good stuff on there. I spent half the afternoon just scrolling through the content. you got to check it out. So get started streaming the best horror, thriller, and supernatural content from Shudder. To try it for 30 days free, go to Shudder.com and use the promo code RICKHAPABLES. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com. Promo code RECAPABLES. Talk about all the simulation stuff we got wrong. Let's do it. Let's do it. KOC. Yeah. Chris, how can they justify the continuity errors slash teasing the simulations the whole way through and then say nothing? At the very least, did we see two messages from the real hail? Uh, yeah, so basically, we were kind of confident that this was going to be a simu- there were going to be simulations. KOC, where were you on the simulation theory? On the episode that we did, that was the mirrors episode, right? Where Hell yeah, Danny, Danny, you had your idea of like mirror worlds and all that, and I, I was all in. I was all in. I was too. And here, my journey on the simulation thing after episode one, you have Liam's friend talking to Dolores, and he says, "What if we're in a simulation?" inside a simulation and she's like yeah whatever people believe what they want to believe i thought that that the show that was the show so clearly saying don't bother this is not future world this is not a park this is not a simulation in a simulation we're in the real world don't be this guy i i really thought that's what the show was saying and then the second episode was mave discovers she's in a simulation and i'm like oh okay maybe maybe they're going to do the simulation thing because I guess my inclination after the first episode was wrong. Then the third episode, Dolores is like, hey, there's this whole mirror world that's exactly like this one trying to predict all of your actions for everyone in the world. There's a complete copy of this world. And then at the end of that episode, Serac just disappears in a hologram. And so at that point, I was like, okay, I think there's a simulation. And then there's all these, and then you combine that with, there's all these continuity errors that were appearing throughout the show the thing that specifically hooked me was the difference between Charlotte's song that they played twice for some reason. They were very different. But also specifically, Bernard had all these continuity errors that weren't just continuity errors. He seemed to be noticing them. 
he looked confused or turned around in confusion for a lot of these continuity errors that were like, it's not just that there's an error, it's he's noticing this stuff. And then the, the biggest one that we talked about that last week that I thought was that the one in episode one with Charlotte looked so similar to a scene from episode six. What I got wrong and what John Kenny emailed in was one, I think that by describing the meeting as the same meeting was wrong because it wasn't like one was more about uh, uh, going private versus one was about the public acquisition. But John Kenny emailed in to say that what I when I assumed Charlotte was in a simulation because she was wearing the same clothes. John Kenny wrote that she might have just been doing the Steve Jobs thing or the Elizabeth Holmes thing where the CEO wears the same clothes every day. And when I read oh. that, I was like, oh, my God, that's the most deflating feeling that it wasn't just two versions of the same simulation. It was just she might just wear that outfit all the time. Maybe so. It does seem really weird. Like we were not just talking about there being a different number of rockets in the background or like the camera turns and the people that we thought were playing together next to Bernard are actually fighting or even like the Bernard thing with the barbed wire on the leg, which like. You know, maybe they just cut when as he, you know, they, maybe they just cut out the scene where he just like took the barbed wire off the leg, you know, like with, like those are relatively minor things. But lining them all up and then coupling them with things just like like the message that Charlotte left for her daughter. I mean, it was there was a lot of evidence for it. I'm fine being wrong, but like. The actual explanation is what that the first time we saw the Charlotte leave the message for her son. It was just an edited down version for time. And the second time it was totally, it was the full version. Yes. That does seem to be the difference. Uh, and the other, again, like I, I was always intrigued that Bernard seemed to be noticing these continuity errors, but also just at the base of it, the, the way I, I mean, honestly, I actually looked at this the same way you kind of look at fantasy football, where it's sometimes you have to think about, what if one thing happens? How will you feel if that is the result? And what I kept coming back to is if the season finale has a simulation thing and you look back and you're like, oh my God, look at what the first and second and third episode were telling us. Of course they were planting these seeds and just weighing that whether is this, they're going to be simulation stuff or not. What I kept coming back to is that there was so much energy and time in an episode, in a season they already truncated from 10 to 8 episodes. They spent so much time talking about the nuts and bolts of how simulations work in a way that just felt like a lot of setup to an eventual reveal. And I'm in retrospect, I think rewatching the season, it's just surprising that they, while it's intriguing, they went into it. I'm surprised they invested so much energy explaining to lay people how you would escape a simulation. If you get trapped in one to not return to it later, the force ghost Charlotte Hale, like as they're approaching Rehoboam and Dolores starts to see the Charlotte Hale version of herself and it's like pausing her in her tracks and it's flickering in front of her and the hologram itself is kind of weak and unstable. To me, the visual cues of that are in line with this is a simulation. Am I the only one that thinks that? Like, KOC, what did you think about that? I'm I'm with you, Bobby, and and I don't think simulation can be necessarily ruled out just, just because we didn't get that reward at the end of season three here there's a possibility at the end of the series we we find out that maybe it's a cop-out ending maybe it's too easy of a way to end the show but i could easily see them building up towards a grander point that maybe it doesn't matter if it's a simulation or not perception is reality 
that could be some approach that they take to sort of resolve this whole thing because it's true. Like there's been so many hints throughout this entire series, especially this season, that simulation is going to be a big part of the plot moving forward. And I wouldn't rule it out coming back next year. Yeah. I, I so well, on the specific point about Charlotte appearing in Dolores, I think that someone pointed out to us, I mean, she had the contacts in for that moment. So calling her a force ghost, there's a question whether that's in her head or that she's appearing to her the same way Serac kind of appeared to her. The appearance is so pixelated that, I mean, that's up for interpretation, but I think the contacts is how she was seeing it. But that's less an interaction with another person than it is like a nightmare to me. Like it's not, to me, it didn't look like she was talking to someone else. It was like Dolores was having like either flashbacks or like a panic manifestation of another person in front of her. And Serac was also in, perfect he looked like he was there right and hale didn't hale was in worse quality maybe she had bad internet i don't know yeah i i, mean, I think there's there's an interesting argument to be made i apologize i forget who emailed this thought and I, I apologize but someone emailed in a very coherent thought that you could look at that episode as that moment charlotte's informing her like i'm leaving like kind of like i'm moving out of your head goodbye and that that is wyatt leaving and that Dolores just her, the sweet rancher's daughter in her head again. I don't know if exactly if I agree with that, but I do think it's an intriguing possibility to look at that as it's Wyatt and Charlotte are the perfect pairing and that Dolores kind of went back and that's the one we saw all peaceful and stuff is because she was just her without Wyatt again. I think that that is an interesting possibility, but I think the KOC brings up a good point about there's a question here of like, could this still be a simulation? All these theories we've been discussing and all the ones out there, are they still in play or not? And I, JJ uh, emailed it. Maybe it's JJ Abrams basically saying, maybe this is giving the show too much credit, but is it possible some of what seem to be gaps in logic or unanswered questions are instead things that Joy and Nolan wanted to wait to answer until a later season when they can give a more satisfying answer than they would have otherwise been able to had they shoehorned everything into the finale? What do you think about that, David? Well, for one thing, they could have, <laughs> uh, they weren't forced to shoehorn everything into eight episodes, I assume. I assume that if, if Nolan and Joy had gone to HBO and said, we need 16 episodes, HBO probably would have said yes. It might have been some budgetary questions, but setting that aside. I think the answer could be yes. Again, there are just, there's too many questions. I feel like for me to give them the benefit of the doubt that it was that these are questions that are all going to be answered someday, right? If there was some sort of like pri- like priority of of questions, you know, if there was only one or two mysteries that were left to be resolved, then we'd be like, yes, this is awaiting the sequel. But to just give it to give the season, which was good, which was a really good season of television. Don't don't let, don't hear me saying otherwise. But to give a blanket pass to everything that doesn't make sense on the grounds that like, oh, there's going to be eight more episodes two or three years from now, just seems like. Uh, just a like if that was the plan then that's a failed plan even if the execution was on i completely agree i think that well there's two ways to look at it one there's the do they deserve the benefit of the doubt and then two is that even what they're trying to do i think the benefit of the doubt i think that's up to you and how you feel about the season whether you give nolan and joy the benefit of the doubt of whether they could do that it's that's completely up to you whether that's what they're trying to do i don't think that's what they're trying to do i think that if you kind of read these interviews and the vibe they're giving off it's they were trying to simplify the storytelling this season. Uh, they, you know, they wanted to tell a story about humans. Is it out of line for me to just say if they really want to tell a story about humans, maybe they should have had a show with more humans? Well, that so the, again, that's the I think the irony of the season is they're trying to tell the story of humans, but one, the humans are robotic, which is 
I the point, but there aren't enough people to be like, oh, the people are all robotic or just is this guy weird? And that's the problem is Caleb's just this like this dude who's a mystery box. And we're like, OK, what's his problem? And then there's William who we're wondering what his deal is. And those are the only two characters. We don't know Caleb's mom. We don't get to know anything about her. And that you like I, I think every that's human. That yeah, every human was has been presumed at some point to be a host. If they wanted to tell a story about people, yeah, they needed more people. And then also, but again, I, I also think there's something to be said for like, this is a show that has needed two years between every season. They, the, this show premiered before the 2016 election. It came back in like middle of 2018, and then it came back in the middle of 2020. And it's so complicated to even understand what happened in episode two days later that it's really hard to remember what happened two years later. And that trying to patch up, even if they were trying to be like, oh, season three and four should be watched as two as one big season, like the end of Breaking Bad. I don't think that makes sense as a strategy. And I also just don't think it's what they were trying to do. And as much as I really believed the simulation stuff like four days ago, the fact that it didn't happen <laughs> to me, just I think it's over. I think that maybe they'll decide to do it in season four. But if they're going to try to retcon all this stuff, I think that might actually be a mistake unless they've really been planning it this whole time. I don't think that's what they're trying to say here. Agreed. So I'm going to leave all these theories we've had um, at the door with the exception that I still think Dolores might have been based on Bernard's mom. I am holding on or Arnold's mom. I'm holding on to that one forever. Okay. So should we pivot from answering the nitty gritty questions about flash drives and cybersecurity protocols to just what we think is going to happen in season four? Wait, no, I have more questions. Oh, okay. (laughs) More questions. Go. Forgive me if this is obvious or we've been over this a million times. Um, Was Lawrence... (laughs) Okay, I I sort of gave up as a preamble. From the very beginning, I was like, I don't really care how many pearls there are. I assume it will all be revealed to me and I'll take it as a big reveal when it happens, but... (laughs) People have been counting how many pearls Dolores started off with throughout the season, and that was never made to matter. Like, there was never a point where they were like, well, we only have one more or anything like that. But are we to take it that Lawrence, which I saw somebody who I saw someone refer to online as Dolores, which is just the that best was me. name matchup? No, it was you? I mean, I'm sure saw, a thousand people thought of it yeah, at the okay. same time, but I definitely well, I'll give you credit, texted then. you that uh, phrase. So Delor- is it, are we to presume that Dolores was, in fact, uh, one of the the Dolores pearls. He I was mean, if Bernard v- just said that and then he's wrong, like honestly, the show can go to hell. Like I'm, I will be so pissed if Bernard just said that. And then like a season later, like it's like, actually he's not Bernard was just guessing like, come on, man. So well, Lawrence I'm certainly didn't the, agree. I don't understand gonna, what the, I don't want, what was the point well, no, of Lawrence said being that, It's nice to see an old friend and I don't think they've ever met. I could don't, well, I mean, well, I guess you are quoting me in this because it's a podcast, but they've I never don't met. think Bernard and Lawrence have ever had a, sh- a scene. On scene in first two seasons, no. But I don't Bernard, know if they've Bernard met all the hosts. Bernard was in charge of the hosts. Yeah, but they're not friends. Well, I, it's a, he's a turn fucking, of phrase. They're a piece of property. It's like you and your microphone. <laughs> like you're not like friends with your mic. That's what Lawrence I say. To nice to see an old friend to my microphone every time we sit down to record. I'm sure you do. But, uh, <laughs> Bobby actually right said work. it this morning before we recorded the Ringer NBA show. I heard him say it. It's true. That's why it's Bobby fine. has so much better sound than the rest of us. Uh, but yeah. I do. <laughs> but I, 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 I just. I understand this show is confusing for for its own sake. Like I understand that there's a lot of like kind of just obliqueness and whatever. But it was it necessary for Lawrence to be so cagey when like when when Bernard is like, "Oh, you're Dolores," and he was just like, "Wink, wink." Here's a briefcase. The implication where she added like all of the hosts are based off of her 
to me suggests that if she's going to try to rebuild a whole world of people that she might just be replicating her code in everybody. So there might be a lot more than five. I think that's the point. I, you know what I mean? Like we were obsessed over five, but there just seems to be more than five. And yeah, that was kind of a weak reveal for a lot of people who were very convinced that the fifth one was going to be kind of a mind blowing experience. But obviously, it I don't didn't know if, if, this, were, if this were not. I mean, because I, I just said that uh, all that about this, ha- this, you know, we, we do have to kind of close the book on this show for now. Like, and again, if there were another episode next week, I would be. 98% sure that Lawrence was not in fact sent by Dolores and we're waiting for another reveal on that front. I mean, that's one it of those things where you're going sense. to say, I, well, this is actually goes into one of my other questions because before we close the book in season three, there's just a few questions I just don't know and we're not answered and I don't think we'll be answered. One of the most basic ones, and this goes right into this, how did Dolores get out of the Charlotte body from the end of season two? And this is kind of a stupid question, but the end of season two, Charlotte, like Dolores is in Charlotte's body and goes to the human world, right? Right. And then we got to season three and Dolores is in Dolores's body. And in later in the season is debriefing Charlotte. And Charlotte is the one who's just waking up and Dolores knows what's going on and everything. At what yeah. point did Dolores, who left Westworld season two, switch bodies? And how did she do that? Because she was I alone. Like I've already answered this. Kevin, Kevin, why don't you take this one? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Who helped her with that? It was not Bernard because Bernard woke up and there were Charlotte and Dolores there. So it was not Bernard. Wait, Bernard woke up and there were Charlotte. When did that happen? Yes. Yeah, so the end of season two, Bernard wakes up and Dolores has been training him. And, the, and he's like, oh, it's just us. She's like, not just us. And she looks over and Charlotte is there, which means that the Dolores waking up Charlotte happened first. Well, like we don't before, know it was the same. We don't know. I mean, it's just like it's like how did the fox and the turtle and whoever else cross the river with one boat? They could have. She could have done it in any order and like rearranged the brains over and over again. Yeah, it just you. It, you reminded me of it with the Lawrence stuff. And anyway, the point is, anyone could be anyone. But a couple other questions I wanted. I'm just and also and also there's the one thing we learned. On. Also, if there's one thing we learned from the season, it's that like popping host pearls in and out is the easiest thing in the world yeah, that like any layman like can do it it's it's like putting it's like hooking up your apple tv it takes two seconds and everything else is intuitive dude i wish apple tv was as easy as just the hungry hippo process there um okay wait, a couple questions i'm just waving the white flag on the the bluetooth voice and the bluetooth earpiece dolores had the voice talking to her the whole season and then caleb was like i have some instructions for you caleb no idea what that was i thought it was yeah. solomon or something i have no clue who that was supposed to be and it's not like it's Siri because Caleb asks about it in the third episode and she just completely ignores the question very sketchily, which was one of the reasons I thought it was important. But it seems it's not Amazon Alexa or Siri. It's like there's an actual AI voice or a, per- or a host or a person talking to her that is never addressed. And I am completely baffled by. Yeah, I mean, to, I, to me, it's like this shouldn't be that complicated. This is technology that, by all accounts, like would be very reasonable for it to exist. We have Siri now in 40, 30 years or whatever. Like we're gonna have earpieces that can like book our Airbnbs for us. But, yeah, but the but combo. The, uh, no, but the fact that she seemed to have a monopoly on it is what's deeply weird. That's the thing. She's the only character who has it. It's not just like helping her book hotel rooms. It's telling Caleb like three hostiles approaching, and then also Caleb asks like, "What is that thing?" Who he says, "Who is that?" And she just looks at him like, "Don't ask me that question." Yeah, so it's weird. it's weird. And then another one I'm just 
waving the white flag on is how did Caleb and Dolores meet? Because the set, like Man, in the I tunnel, really or why? Because again, the first episode ends with what happens is Dolores is trying to get information from Liam. Connell's and Liam's goons jump her and like electrocute her, and she's stunned, like uh-huh. she can't move. And then while they're there, they're going to make it look like an overdose. So they order a drugs on Rico to make her overdose, and they inject her with it. And Caleb is the guy who delivers the drugs via Rico. So Dolores doesn't order the drugs. Connell's and his men order the drugs. Caleb shows up and then ends up having something about his, you know, his sixth sense kind of walks. He leads back and finds her in the tunnel bleeding and all that stuff. But considering they had a history and that Caleb was completely essential to her plan and stuff. Was that a coincidence? I honestly, I I spent this entire season believing that Dolores is the one that had, that had led Caleb there. Me too. Which is one of the reasons I was like, maybe she's been in Rehoboam longer than we thought, because why did Rehoboam who runs Rico, we found out connect Caleb to her or sorry, Solomon. How did we, how did he like, why did Dolores get connected with him? And we assumed that there was a reason. Why are we eliminating the fact that it might be Solomon? Like working in, on into Dolores's benefit. Yeah. Because if, the voice is telling Caleb that three hostels are approaching. Couldn't you explain that by being like those three hostels were hired on Rico? And that's why the voice knows that they're coming. I think the voice just seems to be connected to the internet of things. So like it just knows yeah. everything. So like the, when it's like, Hey, book me a hotel room right now. And it's like done. Um, I think that totally could be Solomon. And part of the reason I thought it was, was she was hiding who it was. And it apparently could book anything and bring motorcycles wherever at whenever. And Rehoboam had clearly been in charge of traffic, so it would seem possible Solomon could deal with traffic. So that's why I thought the voice was. But, but we're talking about something different. We're, talking, we're talking about, about how- Rico and why. It's such a silly question. I, like, I feel weird harping on it, but it's also like the essence of the season is why did these two meet? Was it a complete happenstance? How could it be? An, how could it be a coincidence if they previously occupied the same space at, in, on West? That's the thing. It's like and like, look, real life is like that. But Westworld's never been about coincidences. So I guess that like one of the things I expected to, and one of the reasons I believed in the simulation stuff was I just felt that there had to be a hand guiding Caleb and Dolores together. If you rewatch the first episode, there is nothing to indicate Dolores was a part of that. Nothing. And no, and she later asked him what his name is, and then at, well, she asked Connell's to look him up. Although Connell's response to that is only to give him like his current, give her his current whereabouts. Yeah, so maybe. It's not, like, no it's not reason- like it's not like she he had to tell her who he was. Yeah, but- she clearly knew the face. And, she, and re- if you rewatch it now, it's like she knew the face, but she was like, who is this guy that was now saved me twice? It's either that was a coincidence, which actually would be interesting. Or Solomon set it up or Rehoboam did it. I have no idea why Sir Solomon or Rehoboam would do those things. But I guess it's just really interesting. We don't know. And I think that's kind of a huge thing to leave hanging. Did that bug you, Kevin? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it. I figured that she had some type of awareness of who he was at the beginning, but now I'm I'm not so sure. And Bobby, your point about can we rule out Solomon? I don't know. I'm not sure we can necessarily rule him out. But Dolores did seem to not have a total idea of who she was, though, by asking Connell's to look him up. Though, um, does that necessarily mean that she just wanted his whereabouts, or did she get information that 
we didn't see on screen. I, I don't, I don't really know, but that's something that I, it's, remains unclear to me, but she did say she chose him though. In the, in the end though, this is why I chose you. Did she choose him after when, they bumped into each other him, or, right? or did she choose him when, when he, when they actually bumped into each other? Doesn't matter how we end up together. It just matters who we choose. <laughs> I think that's all we got in season three. We want to talk season four. Season about three season is four, so yeah. old news anyway. It's like that was so long ago. I don't even remember it. Do we think we're seeing Clementine, Hanarayo, Maeve, and Charlotte again? And basically, Clementine and Hanarayo came back for five minutes. And Not we either. kind of assumed they were teamed up with Maeve because Maeve resurrected like three people. And we assumed she was going to have a whole squad, right? Whether or not they were whose team they were on, with 100% certainty, they were the hosts that were printed to help Maeve, right? Well, so, I mean, we definitely Maeve said, I that... need a team, and Zorak said, okay, and there was a scene of hosts being printed, and then they showed up. Like, that's that was the sequence of events. Yeah, David wrote in to ask, is it possible Clem and Hanariah were not part of Maeve's crew of flunkies in the first place, but rather the creations of Charloris? And I, I guess... What happened, what's in, the, another interesting part here is that because that scene was so sh- short and before the credits and kind of easy to forget and they don't really come back, uh, is it possible, really there's only two things. Did Charlotte make those people in a lab and we assumed they were Maves, Or what I think is more likely, Maeve made Clementine and Hannah Rayo and Charlotte teamed up with Maeve and Clementine and Hannah Rayo and got over the car explosion really quickly because she wanted to go against Dolores. Because even though Maeve was allied with Ciroc, Charlotte was so pissed at Dolores that she allied with her and that we just never saw that happen. Obviously, she called Musashi before, so they were on the same team. So is that what happened? And then are they going to be allies in like season four? I think that the Occam's Razor answer to this is they were printed to help Maeve. When, after the explosion... Charlotte went rogue and she is on her own team and she was just a disruptor and started calling it started tipping team Maeve off to Dolores's whereabouts just to be a fly in the ointment. And the fact that we never saw them again is just because they're, they wrote them out of the last episode. Kevin, I have a question for you related to this. You know, we follow this show week in week out for its plot, looking for theories looking for, you know, harebrained ideas about the show. But for you, as someone who only saw Clementine and Hanarayo appear once in this series or in this season for 30 seconds of screen time in a seemingly like hand-waved decision by the show, the showrunners, is it important for you, for them to be back in season four? As someone who's just a fan of the show, obviously follows it very closely because you're here with us right now, but is that like in the DNA of Westworld to you? No, they're not. I, I mean, they're an enjoyment, and it was great to see them back. It was great to see old friends back on the sh- on screen, even as short as it was. And it felt like it was sort of just thrown in there as fans for fans, which is why I would expect them to be them to play more of a major part moving forward. But for me, I mean, I mean, I think season one, I was one of those people like reading Reddit like crazy after every episode, watching the episode two or three times a week, trying to figure out what was going to happen, and then. Season two, I just sort of decided just to tune out and just enjoy the ride and not ask as many questions as I was before. So in that sense, I mean, I'm sort of just 
taken what's given to me and which has made the season enjoyable despite some of the flaws that I've mentioned, the flaws that you guys have talked about all year. Um, I've tried not to stress out as much about some of the questions like that and I've just enjoyed it. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question exactly, but that's just sort of the, the approach I've taken with this show, which has helped me manage to enjoy it, especially in season three, even though, you know, they did simplify it. So they, they, they made it easier in that sense rather than one and two. And there was all these twists and turns and everything. Casey, what do you want to see in season four? Um, I want to see what's up, what Bernard is up to. <laughs> that's for sure. And I, I would assume we're going to get a lot of that. Uh, I, I would anticipate that's going to be a big part of that to see what's going on with him. Um, with Hale and, and William or the man in black teaming up, it feels like in some ways we're sort of back where we started in the sense that Maeve thought she was going against an evil Dolores. And it turns <laughs> out in the end, Dolores was good. And now Maeve is going against a different evil Dolores and Hale's body. So in some ways, <laughs> not a lot has changed. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for Hale versus Maeve just as I was for, Dolores versus Maeve. Wait, okay. Here's a question. I guess Maeve is the hero, and you, 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 you're positioning it as Hale versus Maeve. That is actually probably more right than what I was, what I had jotted down. But I kind of left the season thinking that if if Charlotte Hale is the villain, then it's more like Hale versus Caleb, right? That she's going to be trying to supplant humanity. And I, the idea that this show has come full circle back around to the robots or the villains and the humans or the good guys is a really weird place for this show to be. Right. I mean, I'm sure it won't be that simple. I think KOC hits a great point there where like intellectually it's like, Oh yeah, Caleb's in charge of this revolution and it's versus Hale. KOC like, you're like, obviously this is Hale versus Maeve, which gets to the problem with the season and kind of what I need from season four is that I don't care about Caleb. You guys care about Caleb? Like, I care about him because he's on the show I watch, but like, do you care about him as a character? Well, and th- and that's why, you know, for me, like with Caleb, I love watching Aaron Paul when he's bugging out on drugs in the car yeah. and he's tripping. Like, Aaron Paul is just a great actor and I find enjoyment out of watching him, but I don't care about Caleb, the character. Uh, they haven't, they haven't given me enough to invest in him, invest in him emotionally. Westworld has become for me like an an action movie that I'm watching every Sunday night. I'm just zoning out, having a good time. Yeah, and right. I, I I do wish I had more of that emotional attachment to some of the characters besides Dolores that I did have in one and two. Um, but I guess from detaching myself in some ways, uh, I've managed to still enjoy it a lot. And like, granted, like there's still tons of people who do love the show just as much as ever before. Um, sure, but but I do find myself after after the finale. It was it was fine. I I wanted to love it and I enjoyed the season overall. But uh, for one of the reasons you're mentioning, like I just can't care about Caleb at the level that I wish to because he seems like a very complicated character. It seems like if, a nice if guy. we had learned more, it would it, yeah, it would have paid off a lot more if there was a more investment in his story and background in episodes one, two, three instead of you know surprise in season in episode six and seven. I could not agree more. I, I mean, my problem with the finale and, and the reason I was so upset with it isn't because, you know, the theories were wrong or there was no simulation. It was because we're three seasons in now and, and I don't feel any of these people are relatable. Uh, I don't really relate to their problems or how they feel about anything. And, and you know, as much as Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy can say they were trying to tell a story about people, um, you have to show that. And Caleb 
not going back to see his mother is a perfect example of there were five minutes somewhere that you could have, you know, showed him going back for a third time instead of just, you know, all the human elements of this are missing. I don't know what Caleb actually cares about beyond figuring out his memories. Uh, and I just so desperately as we enter a fourth season, if they're going to tell the story again, if we follow this path of season one is robot world with order. Season two is robot world with chaos. Season three was robot human world with order. And season four is now going to be human world with chaos. We really need to see human beings in this chaos and I just want a relatable person. You know, they always hint at it. Like, apparently Lena Waithe had a brother and she was trying to provide for him. You don't need 30 minutes of screen time to show that. You can do that in a small amount of window. But the moments where Westworld keeps falls flat for me is the one where they try to make you feel something like the reveal that Lena Waithe has a brother. But like, you never showed him to me. I didn't know that. And I, I if they're going to make. Aaron Paul, this centerpiece of season four, because he's probably going to be on a lot of this art. I would like to care about him. And with and with the Caleb character, though, there's no reason to believe that he would be an effective leader. I mean, he was guided through every step of the way throughout this whole process, being confused about what was going on nearly in the entire time. Uh, so th- there's not necessarily that reason to buy in to him as a leader that Dolores saw in him for some reason too. But then again, like she had more information about him than perhaps we know about when we don't even know exactly how, how they met. So there might be a lot happening in her, uh, in her host brain than, than we as the viewer, unfortunately can, can actually understand. Yeah. Shoemaker. What do you, what do you want in season four? Um, (laughs) honestly, I mean, I've said it over and over again this season. I didn't mind this being an action movie. If this, if this, I mean, but like, you know, people keep referring to Blade Runner. And I think that's a great point of comparison for a million reasons. Um, But you don't spend all of Blade Runner. You didn't watch Blade Runner the first time wondering if you were actually in the future. Right? Hmm. Yeah. You didn't, we, we talked about, we talked a lot about um, Fight Club last week. I mean, in the, for the last episode. There is a huge twist in Fight Club, like one of the biggest twists in modern storytelling. You didn't like it was a twist because everything because you understood the terms of the story going into that and it played off of your expectations. Right. And then once there was the twist, you're like, oh, now I understand what's going on. All this is to say my biggest hope for season four is that they like, set the terms of debate that they were <laughs> whatever that they actually just like let us into a world where we know we're in a world. And I guess there'll always be a question because it's Westworld. We're always going to be wondering if what we're seeing is real. But I feel like I would have enjoyed the season immensely more if I had had no preconceived notion or if, if I had known with, with certainty that Sirach was a dude, that William was a dude. You know, that, I mean, these are just like that, that there's not multiple timelines or there's not multiple realities. And then you could just appreciate the show for what it is. But it's, but the, but it's, you know, the uncertain terms of it's just so unreliable that it's hard to gauge. That said, let me get concrete. Number one, we have to go back to Westworld. The show is nothing without Westworld. And we were not there enough this season. Um, I don't think it needs to be solely in Westworld, but I think that like for a show that's called Westworld and for the fact that, you know, I mean, it's, it's cool when the, I think I wrote this in the exit interview. It's cool when the Jurassic Park dinosaurs make it to San Diego but that was just the that wasn't the whole movie. What's really cool, <laughs> the, the sneak like as cool as the dinosaurs wreaking havoc are. What's really cool about about Jurassic Park is like being on this incredible island, 
right? Being in this world away from the world, seeing the dinosaurs in their natural habitat. I think there should always be like half of the story should be occurring on Westworld one way or the other. I think it's, it's, that's, that part is really interesting to me. But for the outside, in the outside world, I would just like a pretty straightforward narrative. I mean, there can be a twist. There can be many twists. But like, I don't, I don't need to spend the whole... Se- I, it's, fun, it's, it's fine to wonder what the secret Bernard has is all season. It's just not the same thing to wonder if like anything I'm seeing is real. Yeah, it's. I mean, you mentioned Jurassic Park. Obviously, that's a, based on a book written by Michael Crichton, and Westworld's based on a movie written by Michael Crichton. And you know, it, there is something to be said for the show. Really, lost a lot of the thread when they went past the source material they were kind of given. Which obviously, the whole first season wasn't based on it, but the entire show was conceived about based on that movie and being in that place. And there was a sequel called Future World, but this kind of future world wasn't really the same thing. I like that they're in the outside world, uh, but I think the part, you know, it, it, they, I think just kind of getting back to basics and, you know, telling a story. Uh, maybe that's too much. Maybe I'm being just too vague, but, you know. I think it goes back to something. Again, I just I, I want to I think that's a really good point. I want to highlight another thing Jonathan Nolan said in this interview with Variety. From the beginning, Lisa and I wanted to make a show that constantly reinvented itself. That could be a different show every season. I think it's important with a show in which death can be impermanent. I think that's fascinating and kind of at odds with what you're saying, David, and also at odds with a lot of people who like Westworld as the Western set in the West is that it it almost actually weirdly reminds me of the early seasons of House of Cards where people thought you were getting a more diabolical version of the West Wing and then House of Cards kind of goes into this completely different storyline and really just detaches from what people liked about season one. And I do think that's what happened with season two and then season two going the multiple timeline stuff, which people didn't really sign up for in season one. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. And then season three. Now it's okay. Some people are so into this futuristic stuff and Caleb trying on new suits with like an iPad. That's just fitting it to him. And some people are like, I want the Cowboys that I came here for this idea that every show needs to be able to reinvent itself from season to season and have little to do with the prior season or not even just little to do with the prior season, but just, be able to completely retell a different story in the same vein, I feel like is a dangerous one and a hard one to pull off. It's sort of like the we want to play in transition of of TV writing. <laughs> like It's like the we want to play fast for LeBron James teams of being a TV showrunner because people aren't coming to your show for five different reinventions of the same show. They're coming well, to your show because it's a good show. Like I, I feel like Instead of just restarting a cycle every season, what works more effectively for me as a viewer is to go from the macro to the micro to the macro to the micro, which this show has the opportunity to do because it has Westworld and then it has the real world. Rather than trying to just reinvent what the show is about every season, this isn't that type of show for me. It's fine to say we want to reinvent a show every season. We want the show to be something entirely different every season. And certainly season three was very different than the seasons that came before. But it's really like genre, which I hate to come back to at the end of this show. The ep- but like, it, the conceit, your mileage may vary, but the conceit is really intriguing, right? It's like every few minutes, he's going to be experiencing a different genre, and we're going to be telling the story through this like wacky set of goggles that he's wearing, right? And everything's going to be different and amped up and everything. But at the end of the day, there was like one genre, and you couldn't tell the difference between everything else. 
And the problem with Westworld is they're going to keep reinventing it. They can put it on the moon next season. I mean, literally, but figuratively too, they could put it on the moon next season. And it's still going to be a show about consciousness and free will. And we're going to spend the whole time wondering who the Cylons are. Like that is what the show is. And you can reinvent it as much as you want, but they keep coming back to this sort of mean storytelling device, which is like, like, do we have the choice to make ourselves better and to make the right decisions? And as long as that's what the show is and they're obscuring everything else about the storytelling along the way so that the the growth of hum- the human growth that these characters go through is revealed as the shocking moment at the end, it's going to be the same show every season. I love this show. Yeah, in, in a way, the complete flexibility of all the characters to exist and to be all different kinds of people and to be in all these different platforms um, also means they're not committing to who these people are. And that yes. to me is at odds at some point. How do you kill Can't your two main characters? How do you kill your two main characters and then just be like, well, you know what? They could come back. Like, do you not have a plan? I know you're, be- I know they have to be vague and everything like that, but it's like, like, no, if you're killing one and especially if you're killing two, have a formal funeral for one of the two of them. Tell us, like, go to Variety and say, you will never see Evan Rachel Wood on the show again. Death is some deaths are permanent. You know, like like let there be some stakes here. That's why for me for season four, like I I need something like bringing Ford back. You know, because I need the literalization of everything that has become metaphorical since he left. Where like he is the architect of this world and he has a plan that's being executed. It feels like we've gone beyond the buoy of the plan that he set in motion when he allowed Dolores to pull the trigger on him. And now it's just like well, I used to understand the motivations of these characters because everyone was put on their loop, so to speak. But now it's like, I don't understand the loop or whether they're supposed to be on a loop or whether they're not. I don't think it's an accident that the show kind of went off the rails when Dolores became disconnected from her, the people she cares about. Um, her relationship with Teddy was always kind of odd. Um, and Teddy's also an odd character. And also just her being disconnected from her father. Like the decision to turn her father, who could have, like, they have a very strong relationship, to just like this blubbering mess of a. Of a existence instead of like an actual influence on her life i think has been a real miss and that something that they need is that you need like if you really think about it mave has her daughter but her mate daughter's far away mave has no family there's nobody who knows mave or mave can connect with she's a loner dolores has been a loner all season she has herself and we didn't even know it was other copies of her uh, and I think that they're you part of the reason these characters are hard to relate to is we don't see them relating with people they care about because there's so much distance between them. We're not seeing who they are. Well, yeah. And I mean, and from a, Bernard, perspective, from a storytelling perspective, that would have been a really interesting story to tell, too. I will say this. When you're, because you, you just, total, total sidebar, because you mentioned um, for giving Dolores that volition. That was actually a lovely parallel that just happened way too quickly and amongst too much other confusion to give it its credit. But that was what Dolores did to Caleb at the end of the show. Like, the, her, whatever her plan was, Part of the plan was making Caleb pull the trigger. Yeah, and that was like that was a re- that was a really lovely callback to how Dolores sort of re- gained her own consciousness. But and yeah, then and the, the difference is that Ford getting shot was genuinely shocking, and this was just like, is Dolores dead? Probably. Right. And then you were like distracted by something else. But yeah, but, just, but in terms of just like the master plan, that I like that part. Well, and that's yeah. the issue ultimately inherently is Ford was human and there was the payoff of, of his death. Whereas Dolores, we've seen time and time and time again, that 
we just don't know. It's not, I mean, like you think about the, the most memorable TV deaths, whether it was Stark in game of Thrones or Fisher and six feet under. <laughs> Whoa, or, spoiler know, alert. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm pulling old shows purposely, they but were doing uh, six feet you know, before it was cool. <laughs> or even Ford, you know, even in Westworld. Um, there's just not that payoff with Dolores, no matter how invested you are in, in the character, which is fortunate and unfortunate simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could keep going forever, but this is just a simulation of the other podcast we're doing. Which so, is what? Fantasy football podcast? <laughs> oh, yeah. This thing got lost in translation. Um, you guys want to go on to Nuggets? Yeah, let's do some nuggets. Let's 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 let's. Crank there's not this that. Thing. There's not that many. Basically, I wanted to just lock down these Fight Club references. That's why we're doing this. Everyone calling Caleb Sir is just. If you've watched watch Fight Club again, it's the same thing. I swear to God. Uh, Dave emailed in to say not only that, but Lawrence is the giant drum uh, drum of explosive liquids, and Bernard almost shoots it, and he's like, "You don't want to do that." And then that's also a scene in Fight Club where a character almost shoots a giant tub of nitroglycerin, and they're like, "Whoa." And well, then wait, can, also I, can just, I ask it? Can I ask a really stupid question? Since we yes. have a stupid question category, um, did Lawrence have that because he was he was the one that set off the explosion at the end that made yeah. Caleb watch together? Definitely, definitely. Like that, but that wasn't made super clear. That was just now we can assume that as as much as we can assume anything on the show, the guy who had the giant barrels of explosive liquid was probably the guy who set off all the explosions at the end. Well, I just mean, I mean, but so like that was all part of Dolores's plan. Uh, it seems so. Well, I mean, you can ask whether he was working for Charlotte or Dolores, I guess. But yeah, I think that Dolores did intend on having him explode a bunch of stuff. All right. The riots in the street were inspired by the Hong Kong protests is something Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy revealed. I thought that was very interesting. That wasn't Americans trying to get their haircuts. <laughs> no, they Gotta actually get... said they, 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 they. I mean, but that was that was why they had. That's why they answered the question. Yeah, that is they why they was... were. Yeah, they were. <laughs> they were actually. The question was about. So yeah, it's. They were asked if it was inspired by coronavirus, also because there's masks in characters in yeah. the subway stations and stuff, and people were wondering if they edited that in post. And no, I no, I don't think that's what happened. Um, <laughs> and then lastly, Dave also emailed in the pun that insight incited a riot might be the lamest easter egg in westworld history <laughs> and i think it is the lamest nugget inside inside a riot i think that's tough yeah some fruit are too low hanging can we just go back to the, my most basic question about the show always if this is just a narrative about free will if the whole point of the show was dolores locating a human who she could give the true gun to then that's lovely but they never said that functionally would have been what would have been different and for Dolores, as far as Dolores's plan went, if she had, if she had, when, when Liam Dempsey Jr. walked her into Insight headquarters, if she had just let off a nuclear bomb. Other than like all the people who would have died from the bomb. I mean, she's okay with people dying as well, long as or there's a military grade EMP, apparently. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. But you're right. Military grade EMP. These things exist. That would maybe have been Dolores, a really easy way. Maybe I hope them. Deleting. My question isn't even that. My question is, why did Rehoboam just be like, okay, I'll delete myself? But I guess you could argue, like, oh, it's in different places across the world and it had to delete all of them at the same time. There's some tactical answer to that. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I know that you can't. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could just. I think it's interesting. To your point, I think it's really amazing. We don't know whether Dolores met Caleb on her terms or on the terms of like the AI. Oh, wait, I have another stupid question. I saw somebody say this online and I just totally missed it. 
Did Bernard find out where Solomon was when he was sent to Sonora? Is that why he was there? Yes, but that seemed like exposition to explain what Dolores and Caleb were doing there because Dolores and Caleb were already there. Okay. Uh, so while that, that is true and they explained why William was there and everything, it, it didn't seem like anything actually changed with the plot. It was much more like, let's explain this to the audience and also give people an excuse to talk to each other. Like William needs someone to speak with. Wouldn't that be cool if next season, <laughs> what if the show, I think they should just make the show even crazier. If they, they, they should, or they, they should recut this season where it's just Dolores, like blowing shit up and executing this crazy plan. But instead of the after the episode segments with Nolan and Joy and like very, everyone else, it's just Bernard in character doing basically what he did at the end of episode eight, where he's just like, Dolores and I have a connection and let me explain what she was doing all episode. And that, that's the whole, <laughs> that would be a much more enjoyable show to me if I just had a host explain to me what the other hosts were doing. Cause then I would feel like I was really invested. Well, we're losing our connection. So do you want to, you want to do Westworld out of context one last time for all, for all time's sake? All right. All right. KOC, you're in on this too. I'm in. KSC, are you familiar with the concept of Westworld out of context? I say the title of a, of a Reddit Westworld post, and uh, Danny has to explain what it means. So you, you're in on this with Danny. Let's just uh, do I'm two. In, I'm in. We're long on this pod, so let's just do two. This comes from Jacob Four and about a million other people. What do you think Bernard saw in the sublime? He puts the headset on. He makes a face like he's just seen everything that anyone could need to see in the world. What did he see? He went to the virtual land where Ben Simmons shoots his three-pointers with the correct hand. (laughs) Yeah, Danny. I love it. Oh, man. Um, (laughs) So he was he was he definitely in the sublime? Do we know this to be true? Just because he had the key and that was his access. That's where he was. It's definitely heavily in the sublime. What's there for him? Who knows? Maybe he's a huge Sixers fan. All right. Give us another one. This is the last one, and I want everyone to answer it. I think Westworld just taught me a great life lesson. Oh, no. This comes from Manzo Iyer. What is the life lesson that it taught us? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, think, I think it might be, for me, personally, what I said earlier, perception is reality. And, and the world we live in today, which sometimes feels unreal and we question if it's a simulation, Ultimately, perception is reality, and whether this is all a simulation, whether Westworld's a simulation or not, um, what they're experiencing feels very real. And not uh, for me in my life, I choose not to question that and just roll with it because it feels real. I am also going to answer this, and I'm going to get Cordy, so bear with me. I, I, I that's not my takeaway. I. I, I think this is the corniest thing you could possibly say, but like it's the journey, not the destination. Like I don't really care that all of the theories we were talking about for two months yes. were just completely wrong. I had a great time doing this podcast and I just want to shout out like all the people who emailed in to share their thoughts, whether people had elaborate theories, short questions. A lot of people just wanted to share their thoughts and say like, thank you. Like I got to be honest. Th- I mean, obviously this is a weird time we're living in, the best part of my week every week for the last two months, other than like spending time with my family was reading the emails that people were sending in because the energy and enthusiasm that the listeners have had with this for the last two months and the last two years has been really like special to be a part of. And I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, like thank you to everyone who was listening because the energy kept me going throughout this podcast and it was wonderful. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's what I learned. 
This has been great. Thank you to everyone for listening. I totally agree. This has been a real treat. And uh, it's a real pity that, you know, Caleb went and did what he did because the world's not going to exist for us to do this podcast for season four. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But between now and the apocalypse, guys, uh, I look forward to seeing you two in our working lives otherwise. And uh, I'll be looking forward to hearing from everybody else on the Internet. Uh, Thank you so much for letting us do this. Um, thank you, Daniel Chen, our researcher. Thank you, Bobby Wagner, our producer extraordinaire. Thank you, Kevin O'Connor, for being on this week. And thank you, Danny Heifetz, for just being you. Did I leave anybody out? Just plug the recapables, westworld at gmail.com. Why not? <laughs> That's Danny's new we'll full-time email, email address. Now. That's Danny's personal email address. <laughs> when, when, it's all, when we're all covered in dust, we'll get to, we'll get to the inbox. Do you want to thank Home Goods in the hopes that they might put the journey is just the destination on a Westworld themed sign that Danny can buy when we all get back to being uh, able to uh, shop in person. I, I just want to thank everyone who taught me to say Rehoboam. That's great. Well, I mean, we can't end on a better note than that. Thank you all. Thank you to The Ringer. Uh, we'll see you in the Valley Beyond, Humanoids. Noise.